and I was never really motivated or inspired by academia. So when I left school at 16, I thought the best place to go to, to hang out would be, um, be a hair salon. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I was 14, I went to a hair so to went to a barber shop with my buddy, and uh, you know it just was such a cool space. So I fell into hairdressing at 16 and never stopped doing it. Bam! Ready, there it Rock? is. I'm ready. Awesome, fantastic. So, uh, man, I'm super excited about this episode. So let's get started. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Shop Talk Podcast, brought to you by One Two Four Go. I'm your co-host Chris Sulme, and just like on the last podcast that you listened to, probably three minutes ago in your car, right? I sit here with my great friend, Mister John Palmieri, and we have uh, an extraordinary conversation lined up for you this morning. We're here with a man who, for I won't, I won't time it, but what I'll say is when I was a young stylist, I had the chance to see you on stage for the first time, and I bought that first red razor that you came out with and that first set of videos, and I listened and learned and went back to the salon and watched and practiced. I saw you on stage with some people that I then idolized and now have, through years, have been able to befriend and become friends with through the industry but um, you, you know, unlike lots of people, continued that teaching journey and really have not only grown an inspirational brand, but a real live, real live business back at home in New York where you live and have just been teaching thousands of people over the years, you know, around a subject matter that you're passionate about. I know we'll get into. We sit here with the still practicing living icon, as I like to think of you as Mr. Nick Orojo. So alive. Nick, welcome. <laughs> you look you look alive and well to us right now yeah now you have to live up to it <laughs> well and if if we would have done the full intro you know we would have that would have been the whole podcast and then we would have had to stop so i we figure we like to let you share some of that while there's a million ways we could take this conversation john why don't you kick us off and you know start to direct and lead us where we want to go with this i always like to start at my favorite place which is how you got into this industry why hairdressing how did this happen so nick give us the story i went to an all boys catholic school and i was always into fashion music which kind of kicks into the hair piece and i was never really motivated or inspired by academia so when i left school at 16 i thought the best place to go to to hang out would be um be a hair salon mm-hmm. and uh, when I was 14 I went to a hair so to went to a barber shop with my buddy and uh, you know it just was such a cool space so I fell into hairdressing at 16 and never stopped doing it Nick you've got a little bit of an accent to your voice um, where where was this all boys Catholic school all boys Catholic school was in Bolton which is a suburb of Manchester England mm-hmm. And, uh, and I got my first job in Bolton, in the nicest looking salon. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I thought that would be, that was the beginning of my career. And I soon quickly learned that I needed to, uh, if I was going to be successful uh, in the industry, you know, if I go back all those years, we used to sit in the, uh, in the pub after work mm-hmm. at 16. Yeah. Cause in yeah. England you could do that. Yeah. You could get away with murder, which was good. Just in those good old days. Back in the good days. Yeah, and we used to sit around and talk, and it was always inspiration at the table, drinking a shandy, and talking about, you know, how we're going to be successful. 
And uh, I realized that, you know, the only way to be successful would be to get trained. Unfortunately, the salon that I worked at was a beautiful looking salon with about 25 staff, uh, but they never really had a training program. So then I went out in search of my, uh, I went out in search of my education program that would take me through the rest of my career. So what ha in England, you get into hairdressing at 16 years of age. If you get into hairdressing at 18 year old, Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a different thing. You don't go to school. You get a you learn a, you do a classic apprenticeship. apprenticeship. Yeah. yeah. So I moved from Bolton to Manchester to another nice looking salon, and then uh, I realised that that other salon was just a nice looking salon with no training. Um, although it did have more training in the first place, and I and then I realised that Vidal Sassoon was the best place to learn. Right. I never thought I could get a job there, but as it happened, I did. Mm -hmm. And that was where I spent the first 10 years of my career. Mm -hmm. I was in Sassoon's Manchester. I started off as an apprentice. I kind of uh, worked hard, dreamed big. Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, it was a fantastic uh, journey for me. I was an artistic director, assistant artistic director by 21. I was a full art director by the age of 23. Traveled the country, traveled the world. Uh, by the time I was 26, I'd realized that, you know, I kind of accomplished everything that I could at Vidal Sassoon. Mm -hmm. And I started to realize as well, that the people that I was working for didn't actually own the company yeah. and they didn't have the power to direct the company the way in which I, I, I wanted it to go. Okay. So I left Sassoon, went to work for Weller as a trainer. I left Manchester moved to London. I worked as an educational trainer for Weller. I was in charge of 50 uh, hair color educators. I was the hair cutter. I did the same training program as all of the colorists. It was a phenomenal, uh, an amazing induction into, uh, into that new part of the industry, working for a manufacturer. It was like a 10, 12 week induction, fantastic. I worked for Weller in an educational role and, um, and we did so well in England that we were told by the Weller staff, mm -hmm. the people that ran the company, that we were actually too good. Yeah, you guys needed to do your own team. Yeah, well, yeah. no. They said that, um, you know, the stage is really for the salons that carry our products. Yeah. Not really for, yeah. the, uh, for you guys. And I said, well, the purpose of what we're doing here is to make the best education. So what was happening is with Weller in London being the, um, being like a, was his, it was his own country, the way in which the world split up in this global business, there was five core regions and England had autonomy. Mm -hmm. So every week we had guests from Korea, Japan, uh, <clears throat> China, America, uh, Spain, all over the world every week. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, a lot of the times they started to not request the talented salons of London, but they actually wanted to request the Weller artistic team. Got it. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and then I realized that, well, I understand that message. Mm -hmm. And then I kind of uh, followed my dream to get a job in, uh, in New York City. Mm -hmm. and that's when I started working at Bumble. I want to um, ask you a quick question. You had said that you had, at 16, kind of discovered that if you really wanted to grow your career, you need to get that education. Yeah. Um, I think that's pretty 
That's pretty big for a 16-year-old, you know, if I may say. Where'd that come from? Where did that realization come from at that young of an age? You know, if I really want to get good at this, I need to search out better education than I have now. I don't know. I think it's common sense, to be honest with you. Yeah. I expect, you know, I mean, maybe in reality now you look back and you say, well, that's not necessarily so normal. Or, mm-hmm. But for me personally, I just, you know, like I said, I was... If I wanted to be an academic person, I could have been because I was very smart at school. It just wasn't. It just wasn't for me. Right. Yeah. So yeah. When I kind of fell into the hair business, how you know maybe some of that kind of intelligence kind of transferred. Well, what I like is you know it wasn't that I didn't want to further my education. Just this path of academia wasn't the one I wanted to go down. Right. I needed to choose a different path. Yeah. It's a very simple life. You're born. You go to school. Mm-hmm. You leave, you get a job, right? You right. have to make money, right? If you if you want to have a family or whatever, you get old if you're lucky, and then you die. Yeah, that's so right. Why do, why do people so complicate the whole thing? I I'm, I think it's a very simplistic. <laughs> yeah, I the hair business. I said, if this is what I'm going to do, I'm going to do it the best of my ability. Mm-hmm. So if I'm going to do it to the best, I need to get training. Mm-hmm. And I found the best people to train me. Yeah. I, I say to this day, nobody forces anyone to come to my salon. Nobody yeah. forces anyone to come to your salon. Right. People stagnate and they complain and blame instead of getting on with it. So yeah. my philosophy is whatever you want, you can have as long as you stay focused on, as long as you know what you want mm-hmm. and then you stay focused on the prize, which is what right. you want. Yeah. yeah. Work hard, dream big and go for it. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, I, I, there's there was a ton in there that I want to unpack a little bit. Yeah. I want to talk about because one of the things that I know about people that are working at the level that you're at is is there's a lot of things that happen that are unbelievable from an outsider's point of view. A, example: If I'm sitting in hair school and I just listened to the rant you just gave us, and I didn't wasn't gifted with the self confidence of you know the the non. In, in a way, the nonchalantly like, well, isn't that just what you do? You know, if I'm that 19-year-old kind of scared kid, right. tell, tell me about or were there moments where, like, how do I know when it's time to leave um, Sassoon, which is the biggest game in, you know, in town at that time? And, like, how do I make that decision? And I guess what I want to know is, what was a challenge that you had to learn to overcome that you hadn't overcome yet? So it's not, not necessarily about how did I leave, but it's more about what did I have to become that I wasn't yet to, to take that second step. So whether it was going to Wella or whether it was from Wella and being in that real warm swimming pool, you know, and then going, you know what, I, it looks like I'm going to have to do this thing on my own and then to go to America. You know, so not even someplace that you're actually working, have a clientele, you know, have an establishment. But like, what what was it that you had? Like, give me a new skill you had to learn that you didn't learn yet. Or, you know, a, a time that you were maybe even nervous, like, man, did, is this going to work? Well, like today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like today. I wake up and go, is this going to work? Right. Every yeah. day. It's yes. Changed. Every day I'm still wondering, is this going to work? I, have, right. I, run, I run a massive business here in the toughest city in, in town. Yeah. So every day I think about every it. Every day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I suppose that, you know, I mean, it's like you asked me like a lot of different questions. Um, for me, 
I, I always would suggest try to finish what you start. And, um, and as long as you wake up knowing that there's more that can be accomplished, yeah, then you can continue to do it. It's kind of, it's to be honest with you, life gets a lot harder as you get older. When you're younger, it's a lot easier because mm -hmm. you don't have any baggage. Yeah, and you look also don't at have anything what, to I, lose. what did I do? I kind of, I kind of had, a, I had, I've had two lives. Mm -hmm. I had a life in a life in England. Yes, and I had a life in America. Now, I'll tell you again. When I started at Vidal Sassoon at, eight, at 16 years of age, and uh, and I started working there, and all of a sudden, um, the artistic director from New York came on over. And I was like, I want to go to New York. But when I was a kid, I wanted to be a movie director for Disney, <laughs> which is in America. Sure. So a dream is manifested as a child. Then all of a sudden it pops up again on your journey. Mm -hmm. At that age, I'd never even been on a plane. Mm -hmm. The world was way bigger. Mm -hmm. It was way bigger. Than, uh, you know, than, than, than it is for me today. Sure. Um, <clears throat> When I found my job at Vidal Sassoon, it was like a long ladder. Yeah, there's the path. I tell people hairdressing is not a job, it's a career. Mm -hmm. And if you look at what you do, look at it as a career mm -hmm. and realize that your career can have a number of different chapters. Not too many, mm -hmm. but just a number of different chapters. Mm -hmm. So when I started at Sassoon, it was like, I can go from assistant to stylist, I can become a teacher, then I can train to become an artistic director and I can do all things creative. Then I can become a creative director and have more control. Then I can, can become a regional creative director and have more control and influence. And then if I wanted to become a national artistic director, by the time I become a regional creative director, I realized that I was already at the ceiling. Yeah, it was really just a badge. Yeah, I also realized that badges are like not necessarily great things. Absolutely. During that journey, uh, you know, people stand behind the badge, and they're mean. Mm -hmm. They can use that badge like uh, like anybody who's given a badge can use it in a bad way. Yeah, right. and yeah. unfortunately, no one's trained in this industry how to uh, behave. We evolve behavior because we have to deal with the general public. Mm -hmm. So anyway, you know, my journey was something that by the time I'd got to that point, I remember exactly the time I decided to leave Vidal Sassoon, I started to see behind the curtain of The Wizard of Oz right. and realize that, you know what, some of the decisions that were being made were not the decisions that I felt were the right decisions. Mm -hmm. So you have a choice. You can either become a complainer Mm -hmm. Or you can start to look at for the next chapter. Mm -hmm. So whenever I start to find that I become negative, then I have to start to think about, well, maybe this chapter's done and I've got to move on to the next chapter. Right. So it's a very logical process. That's when, awesome. I left, when I left Sassoon, you know, it was in the midst of, uh, you know, the continuation of cutbacks, cutbacks, cutbacks. So what I was working for was being cut back. Mm. And... Um, and, it, and, the, and yet they were still expanding. Yeah. The logic says, how come you can expand your business right. 
and you're asking me to take less than what my what I was working for. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make sense. Right. So I was like, well, it makes sense for the for the owners because right. they say we want to expand and we want to get everybody for less. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know what? Uh, good. Thank you very much. I'm moving on. And on I went, and I left. And luckily, thank God, you know, there's one thing that, you know, some people don't know. I was a very successful DJ as well, because in that creative world, you know, I DJed at the best club in England uh, Saturday night. So I had like this side gig that was fantastic. And I DJed for, you know, since I was 12. So I had this successful side gig, and I was kind of 25. And I was like, you know what? I'm DJing at the best club in the UK. I'm an artistic director, so mm-hmm. soon as it's not working for me right now, time for the next chapter. Yeah. You know, that was that was kind of the journey there. And it's always been the same. I mean, it was the same principle when I left Bumble, you know, same thing. So let's talk about that for a minute. Um, what I mean is, so you, you went through this journey, you got on a plane, and you went to New York? Tell us about that. Because that, I think for most people, that's a big step. It's like me getting on a plane and saying, I'm going to go live in London tomorrow. How'd that, how'd that happen? I don't know, but I'm sure you know that the world's cosmic. <laughs> yep. And whatever dream you manifest can eventually turn up mm-hmm. yeah. if you have trust and faith. Yeah. I tell you, it's a funny story, and I'll tell it really quick. When I, when I wanted to work for Bumble, and the day that I started working at Weller, the owner of Bumble walked in and said, Hi, Nick. And I'm like, in London. And he said, uh, you want to come to New York and be our artistic director? So mm-hmm. that was my dream job. Mm-hmm. And I turned it down. Because mm-hmm. I think you have to have integrity. And you don't just jump from one thing to another just because it looks a bit shinier. Mm-hmm. Two years passed by. I kind of told you a little bit about my journey with Weller. Two years passes by. I write a letter to the owner of Bumble. Mm-hmm. And I put it in my bag. Because in those days, we wrote letters. Mm-hmm. I put it in my bag. And uh, I took it to work and I said, at lunchtime, I'm going to take this letter, I'm going to post it, and I'm going to see if they still want to offer me the job, my dream job. Sure. That day, he walked in the door. Mm. Just yeah. walked in the door. Never okay. imagined a guy from New York walking in the door and he said, Nick, I said, Michael, I said, I've got a letter in my bag for you. <laughs> and, uh, and I got the job and I went to, uh, I went to America. I had a job. I had $1,500. I had two bags, and I was uh, starting my life for the second time around. So I'm very lucky because I had two lives. Whenever you talk with really high-level people, they'll go to, well, how did it happen? And automatically they go to belief, faith. You've got, you know, manifestation, manifest um, these what feel like experiences that aren't supposed to happen, happen, you know, the universe collaborating, coming together. And again, I always think about the listener that's driving to work, that's a single mom, you know, that's going, oh, yeah, manifest. How about manifest my rent payment right now, you know? Um, but the, the thing that I've learned, really learned is, and I'm listening to your story about turning down the, what was your dream job and having to really look at it and going, you know what? I don't, you know, not right now even though it's the thing that I've been dreaming about forever in knowing like I've got to do this thing first. And, and, and here's the deal. Like it isn't always a bowl of cherries, you know, like you had some more, I'm going to call it hard work to do. I mean, look, dude, I've seen you at a show. 
Um, I've seen you go, you know, from uh, if, if I'm working, you know, at, at, at our at our thing, I've seen you be there super early in the morning. And then I've seen you uh, leading a dinner really late at night. And I know you've been up since 4 a.m. or 5 a.m. And still keeping that energy, shaking hands, you know, kissing babies for lack of a better expression. But but honestly, really, 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 really caring for the people around you. And my my uh, uh, a distant family member of mine who who owns Odyssey Salon in Philadelphia is, is one of your sort of uh, team members now, Alexis. And um, I, I know the energy that she gets through the experience of being around you and your team and your journey. Um, and that only comes, you know, I'm talking back to the single mom in the car right now, and I'm not that person, so I don't want to put myself in their shoes. But I, I only know that you have to have that belief first. And the second thing that you said that was enormously important, I don't want it to get passed over because it's a big deal. Like, what actually do I want? I don't think we're able to ask that question when we're in the spin cycle of life sometime. I, I don't. I think there are times where life is so overwhelming for a lot of hairstylists a growing hairstylist. I mean, that's an overwhelming time. I'm trying to learn to cut hair and grow a clientele and talk to a 50 year old woman at the same time. And I'm 23, you know, like, like that's an overwhelming piece. And how do I have belief and faith and a vision at that time? And it's like, I believe that's something you have to really carve time out for and really get super clear or else you're just going to do a career like a lot of people do in this industry, and it's a beautiful career. Work behind the chair your whole life. That's a lovely thing. But if there's something you want to do, if you don't get clear about it, I don't think it ever happens. Maybe I'm wrong. You know, I never wanted to own a salon. No? It was never my dream. Mm -hmm. Never. I, number one, I never thought it was possible. And then number two... Um, I didn't want to have to worry about the bathrooms. I didn't want to have to worry about the air conditioning. I didn't want right. to worry about people coming to work late. I didn't want to worry about the clients. I didn't want to take the stress. Yeah. But ultimately what happens on your journey is certain uh, paths open up and you realize that is the path. Right. You know, and then if you think money is your obstacle, then uh, you can make it something that you don't try. But, you know, sometimes we don't know what's around the corner. But we have to trust that if we got to the corner, we'll navigate around the corner when we see what's there. You know, um, I'm going to share a personal story because it leads me to my next question. I, I owned a salon up in Massachusetts um, for a number of years. And um, I'd been in the business for about 15 years or so. And to be honest, you know, the, what you just talked about, about owning a salon, making sure the bathrooms are clean, making sure people are showing up on time, with the orders here on time. And, of course, I was cutting hair at the same time. And about 15 years in, to tell you the truth, I got bored. Yeah. I just got really bored. Um, not only with, you know, the day-to-day -day operations of running the salon, but I got bored with hairdressing. Um, we were departmentalized at the time, so I cut hair all day. And, you know, I, lo I love it. I still love it, but I got bored. And... I remember getting a box in the mail one day and it was this big black box and it had a full size of each of the Bumble and Bumble eight ounce shampoo bottles and different um, styling aids in it. And I looked at this box and I go, well, this is really cool. One, it cost somebody a lot of money to send it to me. 
right? And I don't, I don't know how I got it. First of all, I was like, why did I get this? I don't even know these people. And then I looked at it and I was like, wait a minute, this is some salon in New York and they want me to carry their brand. Like I am not going to put another salon's product in my salon. I'm just not going to do that. But for some strange reason, and I can't even remember why, um, I went to New York one weekend. I was like, you know, I'm going to go check this place out. It's on 57th. I'm going to go check it out. And I walked in the door, and I was blown away. I was just like, I don't know what this is, but it's like, to me, it was like hair heaven. Um, And I decided, you know what? I am going to pick up this line. And the thing that I liked was I learned how to cut hair with a straight-edge razor. And for me, that completely changed the direct trajectory of my career because I got on board really fast you know it made me look at hair differently it made me look at people's you know structure differently it just made me look at the whole industry differently my question is where'd the razor come from I mean I know there's a I know the story as Michael Gordon has told it um, but how did that happen how did that become such a big thing for you I mean for Bumble and I know for you guys as well that's a signature piece. I mean, Chris talks about the red razor. I still have mine. You know, where, how'd that happen? I, I broke mine, but if you want to send me a new one in the mail, <laughs> I'm totally open to it. <laughs> Two minute, I'll be back. <laughs> for, for courier, please. <laughs> you know, this is uh, the way in which it works in, in life uh, for me. Yeah. yeah. You're going to find it to have, when you're younger, try and find a few hair heroes. Mm-hmm. So when I was younger, my hair hero was Vidal Sassoon. When I worked at Vidal Sassoon, Christopher Brooker mentioned this salon in New York City called Bumble and Bumble that were doing cuts with clippers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We were only doing cuts with scissors. Right, right. I was 17. Mm-hmm. And in those days, we'd read magazines. You used to read the credits. I kept on seeing the credit for Bumble and Bumble. Mm -hmm. I was like, interesting. Mm -hmm. You know, so year after year after year, you're slowly intrigued. We don't assume you're not allowed to use a round brush. You're not allowed to use any texturizing shear Mm -hmm. and no razor. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Razors are for for barbarians, as they they say. (laughs) But at the academy in London, in the academy in London, which was seen as the mecca of ideation for hairdressing, where all the artistic directors would come, and you know, it was kind of like the knights around the round table, only we're all hairdressers. Right. You know, company was paying for us to uh, connect. So they would cut hair with glass. They would cut hair with, they would do different things just Mm -hmm. to kind of push the envelope because anything sharp cuts hair. But it was outlawed for the simple reason that Vidal Sassoon's just celebrating 65 years, their bedrock, their foundation of their brand, Mm -hmm. which has been a massive asset and to a degree could be seen as a detriment too Mm -hmm. because of the not changing. They've stuck with scissor only. Yeah. The day that I left Fidel Sassoon uh, and went to work for Weller, uh, I said, I'm going to learn how to cut with a razor because it's like if somebody tells me don't do something, <laughs> then I'm going to do it. Tell a hairdresser not to do something. I always say that. 
tell a person not to do right, something. Right, right, right. Yeah, Don't yep. you dare go out with him. Don't you yep. hang out with them. Don't you right. do that. Right. Yeah. So basically, I, I, got, a, I, I got four raises from uh, people in the academy that I was working at in Noella. And we did a razor cutting class. We did a razor lesson, me and a couple of other hair cutters. And uh, I said to myself, you know what, Nick? This is a great point of difference. You see, don't leave a company, don't leave a place to do exactly the same thing somewhere else. Okay. I didn't want to be that guy. Mm -hmm. I had a chance to go and work for Trevor Sorby when I left Sassoon. And I thought, well, why go and work for Trevor Sorby? Because if I go and work for Trevor Sorby, I'm going to a smaller salon. He's ex soon. It's going to feel the same. Right. I don't think it's the right journey for me. Okay. So I started razor cutting and I created a program because I was in charge of all of the hair cutting classes in England for Weller. And I created a program where you had like, um, if you was a salon owner, you know, you could send your hairdressers and you could send them first to the fundamentals, classics, then you could send them to creative scissor and then you could send them to a class that I'd called Freedom. At the time, Oella owned a brand called Tondeo, and Tondeo had a razor. Yeah, that's what I So, you know, I created, we had a newsletter, and I created this thing called Tondeo Terry. He was my razor cutter. And it was a concept, and just trying to bring a new light to it. And as I was doing tours all over the UK, you know, people probably would imagine that I would walk out on stage and do a scissor cut. Yeah, I'm a scissor hair cutter from Sassoon, you know, because all of a sudden what happens when you leave me down Sassoon, you actually become a person. Because right. when you work at Sassoon, it's Sassoon. Right. But when you leave Sassoon, it's you. Right. Mm. So all of a sudden, I would come out on stage and I would cut with a razor. And mm. then what happened was uh, when I got to New York, they had started, they'd been cutting hair with a razor too. And what I found was, that my technique and the bumble technique was similar. Mm -hmm. um, it's evolved now. Sure. I've stayed with my razor and they have stayed with theirs too, for sure. Mm -hmm. Because I, I think because I come from that Sassoon background, you know, there's like a little bit more of, a, I try to have like as clean a finesse as possible. Mm -hmm. A little more discipline. Yeah. You know, it is what it is, but you yeah. know, when you start razor cutting, it's a new, it's a new tool. Right. If you do it for a long time, you realize that you get better with it. Yeah. So right. That's kind of how the razor really evolved. And to me, it's very simple. Scissor cutting is not better than razor cutting. Razor cutting is not better than scissor cutting. Scissor cutting is the architecture of hair cutting. Mm -hmm. Razor cutting is the sculpture. Mm -hmm. So if you can mix sculpture with uh, architecture, mm -hmm. sky's your limit. Right. That's how I, that's kind of how it's evolved. Hey everybody, Chris here. In the spirit of October being Breast Cancer Awareness Month, we just had the opportunity to spend a little bit of time at an amazing local event it was called Beyond the Ribbon. We're sure that in your neck of the woods, you're also participating in different local events that are keeping awareness and uh, drawing some attention towards those people that are affected by cancer on a daily basis, whatever kind that may be. Um, here are a few clips of some behind the scenes of that event. It was a really great event, and uh, we would love to hear 
on Instagram about maybe some local events that you're also participating in. Beyond the Ribbon 5K run, I'm here with the organizer and founder of Beyond the Ribbon, uh, Bobby Menick. And so, Bobby, tell us about this great organization you founded. Uh, I'm a uh, eight and a half year breast cancer survivor. Uh, I volunteer at the hospital. Just kind of going through that, I realized there's a big need here in our community with other assistants that you really can't find. And, and there's a lot of uninsured and underinsured patients in our community. And so I just wanted to help them. So I was diagnosed with breast cancer almost a year ago. Through this journey, it's been a very humbling experience. And so throughout my whole cancer journey, I've been with the Beyond the Ribbon Squad. They've been amazing. Being able to share stories with other people who understand was great. For today, we're out here doing a couple of different things. We are out here doing some nails, we're doing some hair, and we're doing some makeup for our local cancer survivors. But this is about people that are surviving cancer on a day-to-day -day basis and helping them get through every day and maybe know that somebody out there cares. But we're here with Ariana Emanuel. I am with Beyond the Ribbon and I'm quote-unquote the Geek Squad. I am a nine-year cancer survivor myself, as well as the entire board is, uh, we're all made up of cancer survivors. Our, there is such a need, there's not enough resources. It just got us thinking, like, we really need to get the students involved in, in things like this. And, Everybody that is involved is volunteers, so 100% of the money that we raise goes towards helping cancer victims in any way, shape, or form. And that could be as simple as paying a gas bill, putting food on the table. We just want to see what we can do to help make it a little easier for others in our community. Um, you know, it's, it's funny because, you know, at the cosmetology school that we have, every once in a while I'll do a demonstration with, with a straight edge. And, you know, two things happen. One is, John can cut hair, <laughs> right? And number two is, can you teach us how to do that? It's amazing how it just captures people people's imagination and their attention because it is so different. But I think what it does is it gives people a sense of freedom you know, to do something different, to step outside their box. And I think hairdressers and all creatives just kind of yeah. love that. Well, and I mean, something that you just said that I ag we agree with 100% is like, t tell a hairdresser, but tell a human not to do something. And the razor does seem like it's one of those tools that's off limits at first, you yeah. know, to a, I mean, if you're a cosmetology school, school student cutting with an open blade mm -hmm. and you haven't done it before, yeah, get some foundational training. Like it is, there is some danger to that. I mean, you press your thumb on that thing one time and you know, <laughs> let's not ever yeah. do that again. I went to the hospital one day right. for, with nine stitches right. in my fingers. Exactly. You know, um, so. You know but, but so, you know, it, and that's probably why it's found, it's scary. You know, if you put a sharp razor to somebody's mm. hair, the next thing you know, you end up with a hole that you didn't expect. And I just want you to know, Nick, I got the nine stitches before I took your class. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I never cut myself after. Um, let, let, I want to just talk a little bit about you right now, Nick. Where where are you at? Where are you headed? What are you uh, offering to the world for our listeners so that they know they could come and see you somewhere or take a class at your academies or uh, let's you know if, if I'd love to just do a totally shameless plug. Shameless plug. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, you know, uh, we're doing all things um, 
that I think uh, we're, we're, we're pushing forward on all fronts. We have our own hair products, which is obviously my ambassador program, where we have about 350 salons that are carrying the product. It's a direct distribution model. Mm-hmm. So that is uh, something that we do. We have American Wave, which is the reinvention of the perm, which is continuing to evolve and grow. Mm-hmm. We obviously have three salons, the two schools, the Advanced Academy. We do shows across America. Um, we have an app, it's called the Rojo Social, that will let everybody know where we are and what we're doing. This weekend, I'll be flying out to Albuquerque to do a, a show with some of my ambassador friends called Fuel. Mm-hmm. And on Monday, I'll be in Atlanta for L'Oreal for icons and influencers. Mm-hmm. So every weekend, I'm on the road and I'm out there. I have a big show coming up later this month called Rojo Inspired. Mm-hmm. It's a brand new event. Where's that at? It's in New York City. And uh, the concept is, is that we have, we have hairdressing shows with hair. And then we have business shows. But I don't know that we really have um, an immersive experience on the human kind of condition. One of the biggest challenges, I think, is for salon owners is they're the last to get given anything. Mm-hmm. Everyone takes. Mm-hmm. So I came up with an idea that because I've been champion, championing the professional salon owner, trying to let everybody know how much of a difficult task and job that is, I came up with an idea that uh, to put an event on so that the salons pretty much within my network, but from any network, can come, salon owners, and they can kind of fill up their cup. They mm-hmm. can beef, they can take away all of the noise that we have to live with every day and it can just be about the human condition so that they can refill their inspirational uh, resource so mm-hmm. when they go back to wherever they're from they have like a a, a refreshing experience uh, they have a they've managed to refill their um their inspirational pool, their patient's pool. They've managed to refill their kind of, why am I doing this pool? How great is what we do? So it's a high-end, super uh, luxurious event. And the speakers, we have eight speakers mm-hmm. over two days. And um, and none of the, uh, uh, only a couple of the, ha- the speakers are actually hairdressers mm-hmm. because we're not talking about hair. We're talking about, um, emotion so come to laugh come to cry come to experience uh you know what professional quality hairdressing is it's a super high-end experience and i'm looking forward to it. it's called the rose yeah where can we um... yeah where can we find that if i'm um, a listener right now a rojoinspired.com that's awesome and then, um, and then next year my big show expo which is going to be my 10-year Congratulations. Is going to be at the TWA uh, Hotel at JFK. So we've got the best venue that I can think of, and that'll be, you know, four to 500 hairdressers, and that's a rojoexpo.com. End of the plug. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, love it. Well, one more I'll ask for is I'm guessing it's a rojo on Instagram, or is it? It's a rojo NYC. A rojo NYC on Instagram. That's awesome. Um, 
man, you just opened up such a huge can of worms late in the game on this podcast. I guess I just want to ask a question around the human experience piece because 20 years ago, that wouldn't have been a cool topic, meaning like we weren't allowed to talk about that yet because we had to talk about professionalism. And we've evolved, I believe we've evolved as a professional career. I think, you know, students coming in look at this as a high-level career, which is what it is. Um, and now we're remembering that, oh, yeah, it's human beings that run this thing. And if your cup isn't full. So I just want to know how that evolved for you um, and why you decided to do that. Other than I know it's on the forefront of things, but something must have, you know, happened in you from all the running or... Well, you know what it is. If you're not if you're not creating something new, you get bored. Mm-hmm. And whenever I get bored, I have to come up with something new. Mm-hmm. And I'm very focused on what's going on in our industry. And we're in a massive, massive change. It's been a massive change. We've been through this big changing wheel. Seems like a lot of activity. So for me. Uh, when I'm around the people that work with me, that own salons, and when I meet people that are not part of my network, but they come into that network, so like an Alexis, the energy in the room is um, spectacular. You have people from all over the country, you know? So you've got different mentalities. It's a slightly different, as I've traveled this country now, you see that the attitudes are different in different places. Passion's the same, right? The yeah. hair grows out of the head the same. So <clears throat> I was kind of, I've been watching this evolve and nurture. And I said to myself, you know what? Maybe it's time for us to um, create something that is going to take us out of our industry into uh, other people's worlds so mm-hmm. that we can see what, you know, uh, what brings us together and, and try not study what humanity is, but to feel like, hey, you know, there's other things out there. Mm-hmm. So I found, managed to find, with the help of my network, I've managed to find eight amazing uh, people that have something to share. Mm-hmm. And I've cura- it's kind of, it's like I'm a director and I've curated this event. We start, I rented the top floor of the Freedom Tower as the welcome drink for Saturday night. Whenever you stand on top of the, uh, I've never been up there since it, since we lost the Twin Towers, but whenever you stand up there on top of the uh, world, it, it gives you a tingle and it makes you feel excited. And you get to see this slither of concrete jungle and you realize that you're just an ant in the middle of it. So I'm gonna take all of my guests to that for a welcome cocktail and the whole concept is to get them inspired. The following day I've curated a journey of, um, of emotion based off different people's stories. So one theme would be about community and what that truly means. One thing is about resilience. What is resilience? One thing is about fight. One thing is about excellence. So each presentation is uh, delivered in a way to change your emotional state. You know, you don't need a drug to change your state. Listen to something that connects to a trigger inside your system that you can relate to. And when you feel that level of emotion that can kind of flow through your your body, it has a more lasting effect. 
I also, because I've been on stage and done so many things for so long, I know when it gets boring. I know when it gets tedious. I know when it's the same old, same old. I'm like, yeah, like you've experienced that. You experienced that even in what looks like a, a limelight, if you will. Yeah. So this whole thing that we're doing is, um, it's a journey. It's a lot of fun. It's super high end. It's, it's like a, I'm going to call it a hairdresser's retreat. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but it's retreat. not a retreat to yeah. get massaged. It's a retreat for the soul. Yeah, there you go. I just made that up. Sounds love cool. it. Well, you know, Nick, while you're sitting here talking, I pulled up the website for Erosio Inspired, and yeah. um, Chris and I just decided we're coming. We're going. <laughs> we're going. What? Just so you know, we'll we're looking at looking at it. We going. Work hey, we'll work something special out for you. Okay, Thank you, perfect. Sir. All right. Well, we'll we'll podcast we'll all podcast. your guests. Yeah, Absolutely. We'll podcast all yeah. Your guests yeah. Um, it's going to be, I have some amazing speakers and I've sat in this room talking to each and every one of them yeah. um, and positioning them where it's going to be the right fit for the audience. It's like if you're a DJ, you mm -hmm. know when to drop your biggest tune yeah. and you know when to drop your slowest tune. Yeah. So it's a journey and I think the show is going to be a journey for everyone. What do you think sets you apart from your from the rest of your market? I work really hard and i learn from my mistakes and i try not to repeat them right. and i try to innovate for the future mm -hmm. and if you follow what we do you'll yeah. see that we continue to innovate as the industry changes and it's changing rapidly the pendulum swings so the pendulum has been swinging for 25 years mm -hmm. since i've been in america since i've been in america the pendulum started off that on the west coast everyone was a boozer yeah yeah now we're now we're 25 26 years later the pendulum's all the way across. It's mm -hmm. everywhere. Yeah. The other downside that we have for an industry like a hairdressing, it's not just the rental suites, not, nothing to do with that. The labor laws are oppressive. Mm -hmm. And um, <clears throat> unfortunately, the cost of business is uh, devastating in New York City. Yep. What's the minimum wage in Atlanta? Seven and a quarter. Okay. And how much is a single process? Um, 40 bucks. 40 bucks. Oh, right? Starting, right? Yeah, starting. Yeah. Starting. Yeah. You, and how much is a haircut? Yeah. Starting price 45. 45. Yeah. In New York, minimum wage is $15. Yeah. The rent is ridiculous. Yeah. And the price for a single process is nowhere near double what the price of a single process is in other markets. Sure. So yeah. unfortunately, we're in a place where you have very difficult, um, there's very difficult room for you to move. Maneuver. It's hard for you to maneuver. Three salons. I've trained my competition. You train them today. They leave. This thing gives everybody full access to their clients and full sure. access to them. So no one lives in fear anymore. It's not the same world that it used to be. Right. We pay to train them. We train them well, and then they leave. Mm -hmm. So on the salon side, we have to navigate, and I'm continuing to try to navigate that piece. The school side is a, is a stronger business in some regards because it's safer. Mm -hmm. Safer in the fact that your student's not necessarily going to leave if your teacher leaves. Right. It's a fixed income business. Mm -hmm. So we have a fixed income business there. So now we have to really figure out how to, you know, knock, uh, tie students in to the program. And what programs are we offering? So we now have a barbering program. Mm -hmm. We're about to embark into esthetology. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because we have an amazing team. First, you've got to build it and build it really well. Mm -hmm. And as the world changes, you've got to continue to stay focused on building it really well and mm -hmm. creating new opportunities so that you can fill in the space. Mm -hmm. 
like we reinvented the perm, so now I've got a new service to sell, American sure. Wave, and I see that every day on the shop floor. Mm -hmm. So the school business is a good business, and then the product business. I mean, I've been through some real journeys with that. I mean, last yep. year I went into distribution with five distributors. I have one distributor left. I pulled the plug on four distributors because I felt like they talked the talk, but unfortunately, when it comes down to uh, dollars and cents, mm -hmm. dollars and cents, you know, I wasn't seeing the results that I that I hoped for. So mm -hmm. I'd rather tackle it myself. Mm -hmm. You know, five years ago, you'd never be doing a podcast. Mm -hmm. Totally. Yeah. But totally. now we're doing podcasts. Yeah. Now we know that we're living in a super information highway. Yeah. So I have the, I have so many ideas on the table. You know, you know the best solution uh, for anything in this world, whatever it is to compete, I'm going to show you what it is. It's a piece of paper right. and a pen. Mm -hmm. If you give me this, I'll come up with a solution. Because all I need is this, 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 and this. Right. I solve my problems. And to say that, you know, I'm a success, I think that, yeah, that sounds great. Um, I have to tell you, being a success for me is a lot of hard work. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of turmoil. Um, it takes a lot. But if you don't dream big and you don't work hard, you might not get to your actual ultimate goal. What is my ultimate goal? My ultimate goal is probably to... Um, wake up every day doing something that I love mm -hmm. and being able to afford to do the things that I love. Mm -hmm. And uh, sometimes, just like when I tell my stylists all over the country when I'm talking to hairdressers, sometimes you get that difficult client, like you're fully booked, it's crazy busy. Well, mm -hmm. it's called a job after all. I'm going to love everything. I'm going to roll up your sleeves and get through it. The sun's yeah. still going to set. But for me, you know, there's a lot of work, but I also think that if I can fulfill some of my dreams some of my ideas if i can create some imagination for myself and for other people then i think that uh, you know that'll be really true success and it's not about money never has been unfortunately to run a big business like i have takes a lot of money you know the amount of money that's you know every when i get a new product delivered i gotta i gotta find 60 70 80 thousand dollars just to pay for that one product my rent, my monthly rent is over $200,000. That's a lot of students, a lot of haircutting, a lot of work, and, it, and it's only going up, not going down. So I'm in the fight for my life. That's what I'm in. I'm in the fight for my life. I enjoy what I do. Last night, we graduated another girl uh, onto the shop floor. To no. see her with excitement this week, I've hired two new people to work on my team, you know, um, on Wednesday, I was teaching in my cosmetology school. My students, this is their third week. I was teaching a full lesson with them how to blow dry, mm -hmm. watching to see how difficult it is to even hold a brush. Hold a brush. Yeah. Hold a brush. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you yeah. know, so I just kind of keep it real and I just keep <clears> pushing it forward. And, I'm a, and, and I have faith, no matter what obstacle will come my way, mm -hmm. that I will be able to navigate around it. Mm -hmm. And I will continue to... Uh, evolve my journey mm -hmm. and whether it's three schools five schools one school five salons two salons one salon it doesn't really matter to me mm -hmm. it's not about ego it's really about making sure that you're happy you're surviving and you're doing something that keeps you keeps you positive but you know i'm not a, just a hairdresser i have to become i'm a business owner you know when i came to america i had fifteen hundred dollars mm -hmm. 
you know, I have a multi-million dollar business. If I can do it, anybody can do it. So I have no special sauce. We all can do a bob. Mm. We all can do a basic highlight. Mm. But you know, if you've got drive and intention and ideas, then you can you can evolve and grow. But we do have to change things because our industry is kind of broken. The business model that yeah. it's set up for. So I got some new ideas. You'll see what's gonna. You'll see as they evolve how I'm looking at the industry, because mm. I don't just look at the industry for me. I actually look at it for 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 us. Mm. And I'm not anti-independent, but I warn every independent hairdresser that a hundred percent of the money that you bring in is not going to be all for you right and the amount of work it's going to take for you to reach the uh, level of revenue that you think you're going to get it's going to be a heck of a lot harder even though the rest of the world is telling you oh mm -hmm. do this it's going to be so much better and unfortunately what happens is is they they fast track the end of their career. Not everybody, sure, but some of them fast track the end of their career a lot quicker. You know, so maybe the pay, I think I think that if I could look into the future, I'll tell you what I'm going to see. I'm going to see the pendulum's going to swing back. I don't think hairdressers want to be one on one with their client. I think clients don't want to be one on one with their hairdresser. I think that people will want to have, as experiences are becoming more and more narrow, mm. I think the hair salon is a place, just like what you said, John, mm. 20 years ago when you went into Bumble and yeah. saw the excitement and you kind of didn't know what it was. Had no clue. Kind of felt it. You see, yeah. in New York, mm. those salons don't exist anymore. Yeah, they don't exist in too many places. Yeah. And in a rural market, yeah, mm -hmm. in a suburban market, you will get that where mm -hmm. it's busy. Yeah. But when you come to a place like a New York or an LA, mm -hmm. uh, you get to see mm -hmm. the kinds of clients spread across your salon mm -hmm. and the hairdressing style, the style of the people. Mm -hmm. That's what you don't see because it becomes kind of, uh, you know, you're in a, you're in New York. It's a crazy place. Yeah, it is a crazy place. But I, but I think it's that intangible, you know, and it's I can't even put it. Yeah, I can't even put words on it. But you know, walking into that Bumble location at the time and, and felt that magic. Didn't know what it was. It, I just knew it when I was in it. And it was probably like that at Vidal Sassoon mm -hmm. in the eighties, yeah, in the seventies. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They were lining up to get a cup. Yeah. And I, I remember coming down to your your first salon downtown and um, when uh, Nula is your general manager there and I went to visit her and I had the same experience. I walked in the room and I was just like, you know, and we had we had left Bumble at the time um, and then we picked up your product line for the same reason. It walked in the building and I was like, I don't know what this is, but it's the same feeling I had before and I want to be part of that. Um I was having this conversation with uh, my daughter-in-law last night. We we're sitting around, and my daughter-in-law is one of those people who is bothered when hairdressers talk to her, right? She was like, why can't they just not talk to me? And I looked at her, and I was like, 
Megan, you realize that this is a social exercise that 95% of the people go to a salon because they want that social experience. They want to hang out with people. You know, there, there are those people who'd rather just sit there on their laptop and get work done. Yeah. And, and we, we know that. But for most of us, this is a social enterprise, this is a social experiment, and we all love it. Yeah, yeah no, but here you go. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to double, I'm going to pony on the back of that. Yeah, please. Because it's something that I teach people as well, and I think it's big. This is killing social. The social. Uh -huh. Yeah. So now, if I'm a 25 year old, if I'm a 22 year old, mm -hmm. I've got this in I, my hand when I was. Yeah, I do want the private. I don't 15. want the person to talk. Yeah. Now yeah. you've got that 55 year old woman sat in your chair. Right. You don't know how to communicate. Yeah. No, they don't. And you're in your own suite. Yeah. And you're in that you're never going to be able to get that person in. Mm -hmm. I can meet a woman on the street and have her in my salon in no time whatsoever because right. I grew up learning how to communicate. Right. Yeah. And one of the things that I believe is very important is we have to, and, and that's why I think it's going to help yeah. salons like mine mm -hmm. because I think people are going to want to have security. They want to learn how to communicate. They want to have a right. lot of things taken care of for them. And that's what I believe in. And, and that's something that socially now, yeah. you, go into, you go into your school for your new class. And let's just say you have a class where the average age is 21. Sure. You'll be like, this is like a different world. Yeah. This is not the same world that I used to live in. It is not. <laughs> so we're learning too. And I think we need to pass a lot of that information on. Because yeah. those children today, those young people today, they have parents and they have parents. Sure. So the social skills of yesterday have kind of, uh, they're diminishing. Yeah, totally. You go, into your, you go into your staff room, no one's talking to each other. They've mm -hmm. got their head down. Yeah, I go into the back room sometimes and I'll see four or five hairdressers in the back room. They're all on their cell phones. And my joke is, are you guys texting each other? <laughs> <laughs> they're not. And the answer, yeah. right. It could be yes, though. The yeah. answer could be yes. Right. Um, Man, this has been an extraordinary conversation. Like, I just feel like so much has happened. I want to ask, so what we typically do towards the end of the conversation is give some final thoughts. Uh, John, first of all, is there a final question in there that you must get out? You no, know, th there isn't a final one that I want to get out because yeah. I got 20. Yeah. Um, all I want to say is, you know, thanks for this, um, Nick. We really appreciate your time. What I... You know, what I like about this conversation is it kind of reminds us of all the strengths we have as an industry, right? Yeah. All the things we're really good at. You know, Nick pointed out, you know, once upon a time he could walk into, you know, a building and, you know, talk to a woman, get her to come and get their hair done. Yeah. You know, um, that's a strength I think we've lost, yeah. right? And, of course, the world's a different place, as Nick pointed out. The cell phone is how people talk to each other right now. Sure. It's not whether one's better or not. It's can we find a way to get them both to work for us? Yeah. Can we, yes, attach social media and use that as an opportunity to communicate and touch people's lives? But can we also remember that, you know, there is an opportunity on the, just a one-on-one -on -one personal relationship building that I think we might be losing along the way also. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Nick, you, you, I mean, just dropped so many killer bombs and nuggets throughout this conversation, but... Just in the spirit of anything you feel like we might be leaving on the table or any, you know, kind of final thoughts you want to uh, share? I think knowledge is power. I think the fact that you guys, you know, reached out and asked me for, to, to, to be on touch with this and that you have a nice following of people that are listening. Mm -hmm. I think the more we pull back the curtain and share what's real 
and what's unreal. You know, we live in a world of fake news. Right. Yeah, we live yeah. in a world where there are a lot of opinions. Yeah. And uh, and and I think that as hairdressers, we are we are very much the spirit and the soul of society. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because. You know, I wrote an article once for the Huffington Post, which was, uh, I, I was really proud of it because I, it said that every family has a hairdresser. Mm-hmm. Every hairdresser has a thousand families. We sure. grow up with our clients. We cut them as kids. We see them to school. We see them to work. We see them to, to wedding. We go through life, death, love, uh, fallouts, breakups, we go through it a lot just with our clients. Right. The hair salon is a communal place. It's a place for community. And I think hairdressers should look at themselves as people that are responsible to influence, not just in image, but also influence in life. And therefore, as you become a stylist in this world, don't just be... Uh, focused on what your hands do, be focused on what your mind and your uh, and your heart does. And that is my closing message. Thank you, sir. That is absolutely amazing. Well, to the listener, I know if you hung in there, if this was one, two, or three car rides to work, I know you just got a ton out of this. You'll probably want to go back and re-listen a few times. We just want to say thank you so much for listening for the great reviews you've been leaving us. I know we still want to ask, John. We still want to ask, hey, while you got that phone in your hand, we love, and first of all, all the five-star reviews we've gotten, thank you so much. We really appreciate it. But for those who haven't got their digits working yet, five-star reviews, come on, you can do it. We love it. Remember my northern of the border, my north of the border speakers, the French speakers, Wikid means five. Wikid, five. So five-star reviews, get on it. And uh, if you can, share this podcast with your friends, do an Instagram story, let us know that you've shared this, and we will do the same for you. It was just awesome that you could share with us today, Nick. Thank you so much for listening, and we will see you, or you'll hear us next week. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Bye, everybody. Yeah.